the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode four for August 1st, 2016. Can, can you believe that we're in August? I am going to be in denial about it being August, I think. How is that possible? It's not. Although we're having August weather, but it's not. It's not. In all fairness, we've been having August weather since May. True. Sad, sad, but true. Um, So since it's August, we thought that our topic for homeschool this time around would be getting ready for a new homeschool year. Well, Um, because the new school year is starting for the schools around us in, what, like eight days? That's exactly right. So we have, so I used to never start until September because that's when civilized people start back to school. But, um... My, our high school sophomore goes back on August 8th in one week. Wow. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm just thinking in my head, oh, wait, did I remember to take our high school orientation? No, that's next week. Okay, I didn't miss it. <laughs> that, was, that was what happened in my head just there. And, um, yeah, so, and we've, we've found out in our house, I know you guys don't really take the summer off, but we found out that, that we do take the summer off. And then we found out that it's, it's good to start all back at the same time. That leads to less resentment. There's there's always always resentment on on all sides, but um, well, right. Yeah. Well, because so we'll some people, on. you know, have to just start waking up and doing stuff at home. It's, right. It feels different when you leave the house to do stuff. Right. Although the 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 getting ready to go off to college boy does it will still be in the house and will not have to get up till you know noon whatever. Unless so, he gets that eight a.m. chemistry lab. Well, but he doesn't move in until the eighteenth. Wow. So. Yes, it's exciting. So yeah, so August 8th, so we're, we're a week away. And um, so I need to start thinking about getting ready for a new homeschool year and step one, panic. Um, and <laughs> I know, so I, <laughs> right now, um, I was thinking about this topic and I was trying, okay, so what does it mean to start a new homeschool year? What, what actually changes? And for us, it's just really the only change is that we're, we're rolling over the grades um, I've got a sixth grader and an eighth grader this year. And, um, you know, I was really surprised when I started homeschooling like low, low, these mini moons ago, 15 years ago, um, how many homeschoolers kind of opt out of the grade system entirely. Like that's how we met other homeschoolers was, you know, you'd be friendly like, Oh, so what, what grade are your kids in? And they, oh, well, we don't really have grades. Or the kids would say that and have this, you know, this very nice explanation. Um, but I am, I am much too lazy to do. I mean, I totally get it because, because right. So maybe, maybe, maybe you're a sixth grader, but you're doing seventh grade, quote, seventh grade math and quote, fourth grade grammar or whatever. Right. Um, so the curriculum really has no relationship to the grade number at least in our homeschool. Um, but because I am inherently lazy, I've always taught my kids what grade they're in. Um, cause you know, that's the way people try to connect. Like when you're in the checkout line at the grocery store or something, that's the, that's the first question you're going to get a lot of times is, um, Oh, so what grade are you in? And so that way they can just answer the question. And, um, and also for like Sunday school classes and extracurriculars, it all seems to be based on grades. So we have just taken the easy way out all these years and just been like, nope, we're, this is the grade we're in and, and take it. What do you guys, what do you guys do? What is your, do you have a grade philosophy? Well, I don't know if I have a philosophy, but I, (laughs) I'm a fan of the grade. I feel like when you school 
all year the way that we do, if you don't have something to break it up and make it exciting again every once in a while, right? It's, it's. I feel like you would just feel like you were in school all the time. So no, we, de we definitely make a big deal out of the new grade. Um, <clears throat> and of course, now that my daughter's in ninth grade, that's insane <clears throat> and super exciting. But yeah. my son, who will be in third grade this year, if you ask him you know, six weeks into the term, what grade he's in, he probably couldn't tell you. He would just look <laughs> at me and, and then I would have to explain, which I, I, I always find that really embarrassing. I don't know why. Oh, my, Stephen, my, my fifth grader, he often can't, can't remember what grade he's in. Right. But it feels like some kind of parenting failure, even though there's no reason that it should feel that way. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, it, you know, I, I'm with you. <laughs> no, we, um, we, we love, you know, the, the first day of a new grade. Um, but since we homeschool all year, I mean, fall is, like you say, just kind of a non-issue. Right. I, I think that we are, I think maybe we do get caught up a little bit in the kind of back-to-school busyness that's like the zeitgeist. Of well, I think that helps. I mean, for like, I, I think I talked about it in an earlier podcast that for a while I had in my head that you could completely divorce yourself from the from the whole school year system. Um, I don't know why. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. But there is so much. Go I mean, that's that's on the TV and that there's so much propaganda out there about the new school year. Yay. Um, so sometimes it's easier just to, to surf that wave. Right. Right. Well, and it's, and things pick back up. I mean, we have classes and activities mm -hmm. that kind of come back in the fall. And I actually, um, I guess I get spoiled by summer because I find it really challenging to like shift my rhythm to accommodate those. Yes. I can really only add a little at a time if I tried yeah. to add our classes and our lessons and our park day. Um, all in the same week, I would probably just explode. I just, I just don't have it in me. I have to build back up my social <laughs> tolerances. Yes, exactly, exactly. Works the same way. But so, what do you guys do for the first day? Because you have you have people going off to school and people being at home. Do you all have breakfast together? <clears throat> no, no. Probably a, a good homeschool mom would do that. Um, <laughs> we actually. So I was thinking about this, and back back pretty much when it was like the four of us, when I had, we're not the four of us, but the five of us counting me, when I had all four kids around the table, I really tried to, to make a big push around the first day. I mean, um, I've gotten, you know, I've tried to go out and do school supply shopping because I miss school supply shopping, but that was kind of weird. Um, or we decorate notebooks and then, then we settled on making cakes. Like I said, I think I talked about that one time. We settled on, everybody got to make a cake for the first homeschool day, which was Genius. really easy to make everybody happy <laughs> um but now the main thing that we do is we try really hard not well I try really hard not to yell at them because <laughs> nobody nobody wants to get up that Monday right I mean I don't want to get up my sleep schedule's all screwed up so do you make them get up at a particular time we will we will start probably I'm gonna say we'll aim for oh I was gonna say eight but maybe eight thirty the first week and and that'll that'll be the specialness of the first week right the first day is okay we won't have to get we'll aim for 8 30 and we're only gonna do math we're gonna do read aloud and math that's it that's your special thing um in in the service of building it back you know block by block and then eventually we'll try to we'll move it back to eight at least I'm so impressed with that. I am lucky if my daughter is willing to start anything remotely resembling school before 10 o'clock. 
Well, but you know, it, it's a le- it's a legacy from the days of when, like I said, I had four kids around the table, and we're trying to get through a certain amount of material a day, and um, it's not all written in stone or anything. Oh, we no, try to no. be flexible. I, I admire it. I think it's I think it's great. I sometimes think that I am too loose about that. And that, of course, my daughter will not ha- be able when she has to get up for something to get up for it. I'm sure she will. Oh, she I mean, will. people do. She will. But, you know, it's, 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 it's also that I get done earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I mean, that's the benefit of getting up. And then also once we sent, you know, kid one off to, to high school, there was kind of a solidarity moment. Like, I got up that first year he was in school school. Um, I was up every day just to make sure that he made it out the door. Now I have to point out that was not, he's been always good about getting himself up and out. So it was never an issue, but I thought I was kind of like his safety net since he never had to do that. So I was up and then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to be up and functioning, then let's just go ahead and get homeschool started. So that's how, I mean, it's definitely an evolving thing and we've slacked off now. We've slacked off in so many areas now that we're back down to two students. Well, it's just, it's not slacking. It's just shifting gears. Shifting gears. We're, sh- we're on the downshifting. Now. It's Jason and I have a joke about how we couldn't have more than two kids because we, we have to be able to play man to man when you have to right. start running formations. Yeah. We're just in trouble. So, so now you're, you're man to man again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very different feel, but I am totally not ready. Um, I was down there. We do homeschool in our in our dining room, which is never in the history that we've lived in this. We've lived in this house since '95, and it's never been a dining room. Um, I, when you, I have to say, when you walk into Suzanne's dining room, if you are a homeschooler, like that light goes off and that <laughs> ethereal music plays, la la, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my god, I have found paradise. Your dining room is like my homeschool paradise. Well, I, I will tell it makes me happy. There's books, there's bookshelves lining to it. There's like seven, eight, nine bookshelves, something like that in there. Um, you know, bookcases, I mean. And um, so those line two of the walls. And then we have a dresser, that I, an old dresser. And I keep like our school supply, like uh, paper and uh, pencils and our, our, some of, you know, like the boxes, like some of our science stuff, like our beakers and stuff is all is all in there and when it's all picked up it looks nice but over the summer well nice is a relative it makes me happy because <laughs> there are books everywhere um but uh right now it's just the junk room so the the uh the table is entirely covered with stuff from the kitchen that hasn't been put away and oh there's probably some dirty dishes out there and then stacks of books that never got put away after the end of homeschooling last so that's that's that is my first project is to go through and clear it out. So we actually have a table. Um, Cause that's really important. And then I'll probably sit down and make up um, like kind of our daily, our daily routine, remind myself, of, Oh yeah. What do we do? We do every day. We sit down and read and then we're going to have, we want to have math in there and grammar. So I'll make like the list of subjects that we're going to study and, um, and check for the check on the curriculum for each one and figure out how we're going to do the week. You know, maybe we'll do science on Monday and Wednesdays or whatever. Um, so I figured that all out. And then, um, and then if I wasn't completely slack for many years, I would do the binders. Your binders are works of art. 
Yeah. Well, it was, like I said, it was just because I had four uh-huh. kids around the table. but Because um, you had four kids and because you're Suzanne. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I needed to get organized. So anyway, so I used to have a system. So each kid had a binder and they have, you know, little pockets in them. And so there would be a pocket for each subject. So at the end of the week, I would go through. And for next week, I would like pull out all the consumables, you know, like, um, so the math worksheets, all the math worksheets, the math, the correct math worksheet would go in the kids binder for a particular day. So there was a Monday math and a Tuesday math and all that kind of stuff for each kid. And so, and then I would just go through and make sure, okay, they're going to do the spelling. All right. They're going to do this. And I would just make sure I had all the, the stuff prepped. Um, and then I would clean it out at the end of the week, put all the, the papers away, saving them for, I don't, I don't know for what purpose I saved everything. I think I still do. I think I've always been afraid of some official coming to my door and saying, prove that you homeschool and I will just drown them in paper. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, um, uh, but I don't, I have to confess that I really did not do the binders last year because with just two of them, I can kind of fake it as I go. Right. But I will, I won't report you. You won't, you promise? You won't. I promise. Okay. But I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk at length about my binder system to anyone who wants to hear. So. We should actually dedicate an entire episode to your binder system because it is fairly <sighs> epic. It's kind of, it's, you know, I felt accomplished when I was doing it. Um, but the moment passed. You know, um, <laughs> I am, I, I am almost embarrassed to admit this after um, I, I admire your binders so much, but I don't even plan anymore. Uh-huh. When, we, when we started homeschooling, I would make these very detailed daily checklists. And I found that we would read something longer than we thought we would, or we'd right. want to identify this really weird bird we'd found. And I wouldn't get to cross everything off. So I would have to move my list to the next day. And then I have to move part of the next day's list. And I found that it just really stressed me out. So I, I don't do it anymore. Instead um, of a to-do list, I, I make a what we did list every day. Right. I jot down what we read and what right. activities we did. And I make notes about everything. And I do that instead of trying to schedule. It, it's easy because most of the stuff we do, it's just kind of you do the next thing. So it doesn't actually require me to sit down and, and plan out what we're going to do. I just I just know that, oh, well, when we finish this, we do the next thing. Right, right. Um, so... So I find that that works better for me. Um, I do I do check, you know, to make sure that we're not forgetting anything, um, which which usually works, except for the times when I forget to do art for a couple of months or something. But that's rare. Eh. <laughs> It'll all be fine. Right? I mean, but I think that's a really good way to do it, actually. And I think I think for homeschooling, um, I think a lot of a lot of what I've kind of struggled with is trying to find that balance between the flexibility, right? Enjoying the flexibility of homeschooling. So like, okay, I don't have to get to page whatever by Wednesday. I can, we can follow this tangent. We can track down the bird or whatever, you know, like you were talking about. Um, And then just the, the fact of my fear that if I don't get organized then we won't, you know, how much will we accomplish? Will we accomplish what we need to accomplish? And what do we need to accomplish? Um, so I think a lot of that for me is trying to find that balance between, like I said, you know, appreciating that 
that today is is just today and and let's see what we can do today but also trying to get organized that and I love lists I love lists any any excuse to write a list um basically my planning is a lot of lists lists are great lists are lists are awesome so yeah so I think that you know I think I'm still working I think I'm still working to try to find that balance of organization and and flexibility um Right, right about this time, normally, you know, I was on, I'm not on Facebook all that much these days, but when I was on the other day, this week, I keep, you know, they get the little flashbacks, and all of my little flashbacks have been about homeschool curriculum. (laughs) I've been about, you know, hey, I just found middle school science curriculum for Thomas, or hey, I just ordered all my new year, you know, all my new year curriculum, and it's winging its way here in a giant box, um, and, and and for many years, that's that's the other big thing that I would have been doing this time of year, getting ready for a new homeschool year, is is uh, is making my curriculum buy lists and and shopping, and I'm I have to tell you, I am in this really weird place now where I've had two kids go entirely through from preschool to eighth grade, and I've got two more kids who are still doing that, um, but I kind of have all the curriculum I need because along the way I bought. You know, if there was consumables, I bought enough for all four kids. Right. And so I don't have to buy anymore, although there's a couple things I'm eyeing. Um, <laughs> Pandia Press has a physics curriculum. Anyway. I um, know. That's so exciting. It's very Sorry. exciting. So, um, so I'm in this weird place where instead of buying new curriculum, I am taking old curriculum off the shelves because my youngest is done with it and I don't need it anymore. And... It is this incredibly emotional thing to do. I, how bizarre is that? You know, I'm taking down grammar curriculum. I'm taking her down math curriculum that we're not going to use anymore. Uh, and, and not all of it, but a large chunk of it, all through kit, all four kids have been through it. Wow. And then I don't know what to do with it. I mean, so right now it's in plastic boxes in my basement. And I need to figure out a way to, I don't know, sell it or, or some eBay it or something, Can't but that just, just, I mean, surely one of your children will end up homeschooling their children. Couldn't you just store it in the basement until that time? Well, okay. A, <laughs> no. I don't think that my kids are going to homeschool anybody. Um, really? No, I don't think so. They, they're all, most of them are saying they don't want kids now. Anyway. Um, I'm hoping I said, I don't care which one of you has kids, but somebody's got to have kids. You work well, it out I mean, among it's, yourselves. It's kind of a good position for them to have at this stage of life. So, yeah, I, no, I mean, I'm fine. Whatever, whatever. That's fine. But um, and I don't I don't I don't think we have any homeschoolers in that group. But but even if we did, I mean, they need to make hopefully there'll be new and better stuff out there. Yes. Right. I mean, they wouldn't want to use the the 20 year old stuff that I've got collecting dust in the basement and it's a lot of boxes because I'm a curriculum junkie I will come out and say it and there's some stuff that's never you know some stuff has been through four kids some stuff has never been used because uh, I bought it and thought it looked cool and then for whatever reason it didn't work for us so I need to this is a bit this is a big thing on my project list is to you know emotionally let go <laughs> and then physically let go you know, actually, um, actually figure out what to, what to do with it. Hey, so if you live in the Metro Atlanta area <laughs> and you're interested in some curriculum, yes, email us at podcast. At <laughs> <laughs> I will say Suzanne has excellent taste in curriculum. 
Well, you know, it's it's good stuff. The stuff that I've used, I like. I, there's a reason. There's a reason that I like it. Um, and I like. I wanted. I want to pass it along to somebody, right? Because it does have that emotional connection. I, I want. I I couldn't just goodwill any, it anyway because, you know, who knows if a homeschooler is going to walk into goodwill and need that particular piece. But I do feel like I want to, you know, take it and pass it on. So <laughs> it's ridiculous. I would never have guessed that I could get emotional over a Saxon first grade math textbook oh i but i think books are like encoded with emotional attachment i think yeah. it, it comes with them so now i mean so you're on your 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 last two kids yeah so what do you i mean do you do you have to plan very much in the summer i mean how do you do you already kind of know what your goals are since you've already done those grades twice yeah three I, times I, I, I do. I do. So I know what subjects we're going to we're going to cover. I mean, I have to sit down and make my list because otherwise I'll forget things. And we were super slack last year because I was really my attention was on my freshman and senior in high school. And so my homeschoolers, um, not that I was doing much, I think just my, my my emotional attention was on them. And I just didn't have a lot of energy for homeschooling. So yeah, we did the basic math and we did the basic language arts. We didn't do much in history or science. So, um, but I know, I mean, I'm going to, okay, we're going to crank that up again. We're going to try to do it. We're just going to do a little taste of Latin. Um, we're going to try to do critical thinking again with my fifth, you know, well, my fifth now sixth grader. That's the kind of thing we, we try to do then. Um, with my older two, we both went through uh, the Civil War, the Civil War documentary by Ken Burns. So that's something that's on my schedule for this year is to, um, at some point, we call them homeschool matinees, uh, to sit down and deliberately watch. And I'll probably do it with both of them this time, just do both of them together and sit down and watch that. Uh, and then there's other stuff, you know, through the, the yearly then. I kind of try to take a, a big picture look at the year. We do our annual standardized testing in February. Um, we don't have a seventh grader this year. If we had a seventh grader, they would be doing either the ACT or the SAT earlier in the year, um, part just to introduce them to stand, you know, that level of standardized testing and partly uh, to see if they want to do Duke TIP since the other kids have, have so enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, so I kind of try to, you know, I try to take a look at the daily, the weekly, and then the the yearly kind of overview, but I, I do, I have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I plan in the summer too, but I, I, this year was so weird because high school is so complicated to plan. Mm -hmm. There's so much more involved in it. It's like so different from how I usually plan. Right. And I, I actually wrote a whole big, long, involved blog post about how I planned high school. So I won't rehash it here. I will link to it in the show <laughs> notes if you are interested in reading my obsessive high school planning. Yeah. But um, but third grade, I, I planned the way that I usually do. Um, I, I try to take each kid out separately. We go for coffee or ice cream or whatever. And we talk about the past year. We talk about what they liked and what they didn't. We talk about what they're excited about and what they're tired of and what other kids their age are learning. And then we kind of try to make a plan together and figure out yeah. if there's anything new that we need for it or if we have what we need for it or if maybe we need something but we'll wait and see. Um, 
and it, as it turns out, my kids are, are really different. So third grade for my son looks like it's going to be very, very different from third grade for my daughter, from how that looked. Um, so we set some goals together, like this year, uh, one of my son's goals is to write a research paper. Cool. He's such a nerd. <laughs> yes. Yes, I like nerds. That's and awesome. I, um, so I have their goals and my goals, and I keep a little list at the front of my little bullet journal. And I, um, so, so that way I can flip back each week as I'm making notes about what we did and say, oh, hey, look, we made a lot of progress. Or, yeah. oh, hey, look, another week, no progress. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that's normal. Like, so with goals, yeah. like some weeks you, you come a long way, some weeks you don't go anywhere. And as long as I've like kind of mentally checked into them regularly, whenever there's an opportunity to make meaningful progress, I feel like I'm ready to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way. I think that's a good way to do it. And you can see, you can see over time, you know, you get there, you get to where, where you need to go. Um, I mean, I definitely, I was just thinking while you were talking and talking about planning for the, the high school, I was remembering kind of the big, the big humps to get over. Like, I definitely there reached a point where I was like, I have elementary homeschooling down. Um, <laughs> not so much that I'm an expert, but I have, I know what curriculum I like, right? I, I'm solid on that. I'm not tempted to go out looking for better stuff. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, and then I hit middle school and I felt like that was really a scramble because, you know, you've kind of moved out of the science curriculum that you were using and you're trying to move into a different curriculum and that was a struggle. And then what do you do about writing? And, and um, so I, 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 you know, now I have a middle school plan, but I'm not, you know, it's, it still could be improved. And then I think the last hump was, okay, wait, they're actually going to go to real high schools, so they need to be ready. So um, how figuring out how do they, how do I get them ready? Right. I feel like until before high school, one of the hardest grades that I hit was seventh grade. For some mm. reason, that seemed mm. like suddenly everything was hugely important and significant. And if I did it wrong, it was all going to fall apart around me, which of course isn't true. Just in case you have a seventh grader, everything was fine. It's all fine. But, no, uh, but I mean, you're, you're kind of approach. I mean, if, if you are college bound, which not all homeschoolers are, and that's, you know, that's fine. I mean, a lot of people are opting out these days. Um, then, you know, then you're aiming for that college application. Well, you know, the high school you're leading up to that and in middle school, you're, I mean, things start to count. At a right. certain point, you know, um, if I have a friend with a kindergartner or a first grader who's considering homeschooling, I'm like, yeah, give it a shot, you know, because it doesn't at a certain level, it 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 doesn't really count yet. Um, you can learn so much at home at that age. Right. But when you start to get in the middle school and the high school years, if you're looking ahead to the future, it, it starts to matter. But yeah. it's all okay. It's all fine. Yeah, it all, it all works out okay. I think that if you didn't sometimes worry about that, you wouldn't be doing your job. I think like, like right. a piece of homeschooling is, is knowing when to panic and when to stop panicking. Just panic all the time and then you're covered. Right. It's, it's good. It's worked for me for Homeschool all these years. <laughs> homeschooling. Panic all the time. That's why I need so many naps because I right. get tired out from all the panicking. I, I, I mean, I do, I do panic and I'm very nervous about starting high school this year, but I, I love the first day of school, the first yeah. day of the new school year. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love the new school supplies, which I'm never going to quit getting. I don't care what my kids say. 
I mean, school supplies are essential. They are. And even though we're mostly just continuing the things that we've been working on through the summer, I make sure that each kid has one new shiny new subject to start the first Uh day of the new school year. Like this year, my ninth grader gets to start her Japanese the first day of school. And my third grader is going to start his science the first day. So that's fun. And we have our, our little routine that we do on the first day of school that we started um, on our first day of homeschooling ever when, when we pulled my daughter out of school in second grade. We, we make blueberry pancakes together, uh-huh. and we, we go over our homeschool rules, which we actually wrote together this very first day when we were homeschooling. And you can wow. tell that my kids were very little because there, there are some good rules like, like, read books you like. It's okay to f- not finish a book. So there are some, <laughs> some good rules like that. But there are also rules like absolutely no spitting ever. <laughs> and, and, good rule. And do not chew on a book someone else is reading. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we review our rules and we make sure that they still represent the kind of homeschool that we want to have. No one will ever cross off the spitting rule, I think. Oh my gosh. No, that is awesome. I love that. I wish I'd, I wish I'd done that. I mean, although our rules would be something like, okay, do not sigh loudly in the direction of your sibling on the other <laughs> side of the table. Stuff that's really hard to regulate. Right. <laughs> I feel like with spitting, you can come down firmly on the no spitting. We have to have like conversations about humming, you know, and singing about, is it okay for someone because they feel happy to sing? Anyway, there's negotiated things that go right. <laughs> it's more complicated, but spitting, I think we can all get Spitting, behind. I think we can rule. all agree. I support the no spitting rule. Absolutely no spitting ever. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That's a great idea. I love that idea of the homeschool rules. So yeah, I'm always, I, I try to remember to take a picture. Are you, I'm terrible at taking pictures. Oh, I'm so bad at taking pictures. I wish that, I wish that I had taken, if I had, if I could go back, all right, all people who are beginning homeschooling, if I could go back, I would really just want to document the everyday kind of stuff, right? Yes. I mean, just that, that, what was it, what was it like? I mean, I, this is, I can say I can get emotional looking at this old curriculum and then I've, I've thrown out a lot of, I've thrown all these papers that I collect throughout the year, the giant stack of, you know, uh, worksheets and assignments that, that I'm not keeping because it's not, ultimately, I'm not going to keep it because it's not anything particularly special. But just going through it, I can only do a little bit at a time because I'm just hit by these waves of memory of what it was like having my my oldest be on the, t- you know, and him being eight and then, you know, sister being six and just, and, um, and I don't have many pictures of just what it was like every day, just what, what a normal day was like. Yeah. I, I wish I had more of those. I mean, I'm torn because I think that there's an advantage, too, to being in the moment, you know, like actually living right. in the moment and not capturing right. the moment on film or gigabyte. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, I think that there is there is something to be said for that but yeah I wish I were better about taking pictures I I wish I thought oh hey let me snap this picture but I'm glad I was there doing it with them yeah yeah I did get pictures I remember the last year when I when I knew it was gonna be the last year of all four of them around the table 
I spent like one, because that's the thing. If I do get out the camera, then I am not in the moment because I will easily spend 45 minutes taking pictures. Right. And like, oh, no, wait, can you look back down at your book like you were a second ago when you were trying to work while I was trying to get a picture? <laughs> um, but I did take a lot of pictures oh, of good. that. You know, I was like, oh, this is the last time all four of them are going to be around the table. And, uh, uh. and now he's in college. And now, and now, now he's in college. <sighs> all right. So do we feel, do we feel ready now? Do we feel ready for the first day of, are you going to start on the 8th? When are you going to start? We will not start on the 8th. We will start the day after Labor Day. <laughs> so you have all this time. Oh, you can come over and help me clear off the homeschool table. I could, but then I would just steal all your curriculum and then Jason would kill you because I... But we, then you could take my old curriculum. Well, I mean, you don't need it for your older one, but you could take my third grade curriculum. It's possible then... that I might have too many books. It's possible <laughs> that there might have been some conversation recently at my house about getting rid of books, which... Has traumatized. No, let's not even. I I will tell you the one, the the reason that I actually box up this curriculum and put it away is that frees up more bookshelf space so I can put the other books that I buy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all in the service of more books. Um, I find it hard to let go of books. I I wish I were better about it. I mean, I, I realize that hanging on to books is is I'm hanging on to things is problematic, but yeah, I'm, I'm hanging on. I to can't lecture you about hanging on to books because that is the thing. We have so many fewer books than we used to though, because I did, I did reach an emotional point at one time when I was like, you know what, I'm going to let go of books that I have no intention that I didn't like. That was the first thing. Let me let go of the books that I actively did not like. Right. <laughs> and then it was that, um, if the house burned down, would I know that I had lost this book? <laughs> then yeah. That anyway, Anyway, we it's could, we, hard. It's hard. Books. Books are hard. I know. I know. We could spill over into the whole book segment of the podcast and talk about that for a while, but it is not time for that now. No, it is time, I think, for our first sponsor spot. Ta-da! And uh, we're talking about today Homeschool Life's fall class lineup, Yay! which is now open and is so awesome. We've worked hard to put together classes that are fun and intellectually engaging on topics from things like exploring Asian philosophy to considering U.S. history through Broadway musicals. Hamilton. Hamilton. Classes are designed with high school level reading and writing in mind, but middle schoolers who are comfortable reading and thinking analytically may well enjoy them too. Class sizes are deliberately small, so register early if you want to ensure a spot in your favorite class. The classes are so good. They really are. They're oh, awesome. my gosh. Did you look at all of them? Suzanne is teaching three amazing classes, but they are all so freaking wonderful. They are all cool. Like, I'm looking at them like, ooh, start a blog. Ooh, philosophy. Ooh. <laughs> I want to take them all. Yeah. I've, I've had I've had a, a home, uh, the, the mom of one of my, my current students in the summer class was like, oh, I want to take that. <laughs> talking about some of the classes that we had up. So, yeah, it's very cool. Go take a look and find some awesome things to do. And then you can take a break during your homeschool day while your kids are learning. Outsource the fun. Outsource the fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole point is to outsource the fun. Awesome. So other than boxing up curriculum, what is happening in your life, Suzanne? Well, the whole family, because the whole family went out to see Ghostbusters. The new Ghostbusters. The new Ghostbusters the, is very the exciting. Ghostbusters, right? The feminine, well, the, 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 the Ghostbusters the with Ghostbusters women in it. Build as feminist. That's right. 
That's right. Because this is the, the we are so bad about getting the six of us. To, everybody's got their own lives right now. And um, we often do not, for many, many years, we had the, the dinner on the table. We haven't had all six of us at dinner in a long time. Um, but the one thing we do as a family, all six of us will go, we'll all go see the movie together and then we'll go out to eat afterwards and, and discuss it. And uh, maybe for fun, not like an assignment, like analyze. the. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we were all excited about Ghostbusters because in our family, the original Ghostbusters has taken on some of a, some of the aspects of a holy text. It's, um, it's definitely considered a, a, a work of great art that will stand throughout the ages um, my brother and I can remember when we, we go see it in the, when we went to go see it in the theater for the first time, uh, he can quote probably the entire movie beginning to end. Wow. If you, if you really, <laughs> really got him going. And then there's certain quotes that have entered our lexicon. Anyway, so we were excited about the new Ghostbusters. Um, and I was particularly excited about the cast because these, the, the four women, who are in it are just amazing. I know them from Saturday Night Live and other stuff, and I just love all of them. Um, and yes, six thumbs up. Wow, six. All thumbs of up. us liked it. All of us. The the youngest, the um, my eleven year old, who's turning into something of a fanboy. He was he was concerned because he had not liked the trailers, and we were all like, "Well, you don't have to come if you don't want to come," because he was complaining about it. And then he came after, and his, his comment afterwards, like. Well, the trailers did not reflect that movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really liked it. It's not as good as the first one because you don't expect that to happen very often for something to be as good as the first Ghostbusters. But it was so um, it was so enjoyable. And I liked all the like I said, I liked all the it was just so much fun. It was just so much fun to watch it. So go see it. Okay, I will. I um, how how did you feel about the? I, I mean, I have to ask. Yeah, my, yeah. My my issue, you know, my issue with Ghostbusters, which is I didn't see it as a kid. I didn't see it until I was in my twenties and like hardcore into critical theory. So when Suck I watched Ghostbusters, I was like, oh, well, this is obviously an indictment of American consumerism, and I just. I, I'm not a fun person to watch Ghostbusters with. So, well, and that's okay. <laughs> but I, that's but okay. I'm interested in this whole feminist thing that they're trying to do. Like, well, see, I think I think it's not feminist particularly. Okay. I, I mean, unless you, I, mean, I, I, I think mean, the argument is just the fact that you can have a a, a movie headlined by four women is inherently feminist right. because it's a change from the status quo. Um, uh, other than that, I mean, it's, it's, there's at one point in the movie where uh, they've made it onto YouTube, they've posted some of their Ghostbusting video. Oh, I should say, I was worried since it was kind of a remake, I was worried it was going to be a plot, there was going to be a, it was going to be a, a faithful remake in terms of plot, which, you know, I didn't really want to see that exact same thing again and it isn't the plot is the plot is is different um there's no gozer in this one there's no zool um so so that was good so i like that the plot was different and um early on when they're posting some of their ghost busting exploits on youtube there's one point where they read the comments <laughs> about how I'll, I'll change the language slightly about how women can't bust ghosts and all that. <laughs> that was clearly a direct response 
to some of the insane stuff online, some of the insane fanboy stuff online. And um, there also is the bad, the bad guy in the movie is this kind of um, basement dwelling nerd type that some people have seen as again kind of a comment on maybe some of the people who have come out of the woodwork just to protest the fact that 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 women are in the ghostbuster uniform um i i didn't really find it to be that case but i i see where they're coming from um chris hemsworth of aka thor Thor from you know me and marvel movie fan um plays you know there was there was in the first movie there was the secretary played by Annie Potts and she's not ditzy but she's 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 wacky right she's a little wacky and he comes in and he again he plays he play he's great he's awesome um and there is a little bit of a switch up right so it's a man in that character well right he's kind of like the um i i mean so often a woman would be cast in that role and her purpose would be to give a few good lines and to be eye candy. And it's right. kind of nice to have that reverse, to have... Because have... he's absolutely eye candy. I mean, that's one of the running jokes is that Kristen Wiig's character is just, is it finds him incredibly attractive. And that's why he gets the job. <laughs> that and he was <laughs> I, the only... I would give him the job too. <laughs> yeah, he was the only person who, who signed up. But um, he... Uh, He's very funny. Again, it's it's a little bit ditzy, but it's also wacky. Um, and his character was just tons of tons of fun. Um, and they definitely play off his his incredible handsomeness. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of something they play on throughout the movie. So yeah, so I'm just I'm just so it was just very cool. There there, you know, there's I mean, from the feminist aspect, um, friendships are really important in well, the I movie. I love that. And so that there's a lot about rela- that kind of relationship. There's no there is no romance of any kind. Or, I mean, aside from Krista Wig lusting after Christopher Chris Hemsworth, there is no romantic um, storyline of any kind. It's not about that. Um, yeah, I liked it. Well, I will definitely check it out. Maybe I have mellowed so that I can properly appreciate a Ghostbusters movie. I, yeah, I mean, you know, you like what you like. Um, but it is, it's silly. I mean, especially if you know, if you've seen Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live, or if you've seen Kristen Wiggins or, or, you know, Melissa McCarthy, uh, uh, Leslie Jameson, uh, plays a character. I, again, I don't know if you've seen her on Saturday Night Live, but she kind of her, um, her, her like up comedy background is this very, it's this very specific kind of persona, this street smart persona, um, who's also very direct. And I think she's hysterical and she's playing something that's very much in her wheelhouse. That's kind of very much along those lines. Um, so if, if you like these actresses already, then I think definitely you're going to have a fun time. I think it will be cool. I'm, ex- I'm excited to check it out though. I will not be able to see it until I see the new Star Trek. Cause that is on the top of Jason's must see list. We haven't gone to see it. We should have, we usually try to see stuff. We're excited about opening weekend just cause it's fun, but um, we haven't made it yet in part because not all of the family saw the second reboot. So we have to actually sit down ah. and watch both I, of them again. Yeah. This, I mean, I like the Star Trek reboot. I think it's it's really fun. I found the second movie had a lot of holes that annoyed me a little bit. But if I could just let go of that, I 
I, I, I agree with you. I watched it like in the moment I was enjoying it. Yes. And like right after I left the movie theater, I was like, oh, well, that didn't work at all. Right. I mean, it was one of those things. But it was a fun ride. It was it was definitely a fun ride while I was watching it. And I am um, excited for, for Star Trek Beyond. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll have to. I don't know if we'll make it to it this weekend. We have to do it before before everything gets cranked up around here. And everybody's heading back to school. So what else is going on in your life? Well, I am still in the uh, glorious throes of baby knitting. Yes. I have knitted tiny booties and a tiny (laughs) sweater. I'm actually very proud of myself because I took a stitch pattern from one sweater and I added it to a different sweater's pattern. I feel like this was very advanced knitting. Wow. that, That is very cool. Um, I'm impressed. Yes, thank you. Um, and I knitted a tiny little hat, and I'm starting a little, oh, these little uh, overall bubble suit thing. It's just, like, ridiculously cute. It's stupid cute. I'll, I'll post the pattern in the show notes so that you can you can admire the cuteness of, <laughs> of this little romper. It, it is really sweet. And I binged the first season of My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is now on Netflix. Okay, so now tell me what you thought of the first season as a whole, because you were really liking it in the beginning, and I watched it and I had concerns, although I love me a musical, so well, then, I wanted to like it. In the middle, I got a little traumatized because the, the sort of, I guess, the, the setup of the series is that this very successful Ivy League educated New York attorney runs into her ex-boyfriend from summer camp on the street who lives in a small town in California and a lot of things are going wrong with her life when she sees him on the street she picks up and moves to the town that he lives in and then she proceeds to do some kind of awful things so yes and where she like gets a new job but she some of I felt like some of the things that she did were not great and she was not a character that I mean why was she doing these things these things were were clearly terrible things these were not goofball mistakes I mean it's one thing if you're doing stuff that and you're you're screwing up your own life but I mean I I what I was concerned about it looked like she was messing with other people right she was doing things that could really hurt other people and I feel like she was Mm. and and so, um, so, so that's when I was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. So I watched the whole thing from beginning to end and I ended up liking it a lot. I did. Oh, I, wow. Okay. I thought, okay. I, I mean, maybe some of it is that I, I identify maybe a little too much with Rebecca and like that place that you can be in your life where technically you've done everything right and everything is just what it's supposed right. to be, but it doesn't feel that way right. at all. And you're kind of grasping at like what will give meaning to your life and make you happy. What is being right. happy? Um, and, and some of it is because I think that the show ultimately treats the way that Rebecca's dealing with people in a way that, that felt right. Okay. It, I, th- okay. I feel like it resolved in a way that, that, it, that it, it didn't feel like the show was saying, oh, this is a funny thing to do. But, like, this is a deeply troubling thing to do. <laughs> well, and they have to walk a, a fine line, I think. I mean, it's right there in their title. I mean, that, that crazy ex-girlfriend is, is, I think it's a really ugly, um, it's just a really ugly kind of trope that's out there in yes. real life. Well, and I, and feel, I feel like the way that it plays with that is, is important. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like this is what happens 
in a lot of cases to, to women who are successful in a man's world. And like when women do things that men do, it's somehow more horrible. Right. Right. So it was interesting. I mean, I, I feel like it's worth watching. I mean, the musical okay. numbers are fantastic, obviously. I know. They were so... <laughs> and I really want to love it. I'm more musicals. Everything should be musicals. It's probably Please. not kid appropriate, despite the musicals. It's definitely, I mean, for us, it's like a watch after the kids go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Was... Well, no, but I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Maybe I'll go back and give it another try. But my most exciting thing, Suzanne, can I brag? Yeah. Am I not? Please, to brag? please brag. Okay, well, I guess technically this would be homeschool news as much as life news, but I am, I'm going to say it here anyway because it has been absorbing my life. I got my AP class syllabus for U.S. history approved so I can officially call my daughter's U.S. history class AP U.S. history. That is amazing. I didn't even know you could do that as right? a homeschooler. Well, okay, so apparently you can <laughs> yay <laughs> we have proof of concept right here <laughs> um, you, and you do it just the way that I so so I guess I didn't know this but I guess all teachers who teach AP US history have to get their syllabus approved even if they're like at at school you know like a right. private school or a public school so they have to submit their syllabi to the AP to the sorry the college board who administers the AP trademark and mm -hmm. the AP board says okay yes you can use this class and call it an AP class or no you have to make these changes in order to call it an AP class and homeschoolers can do it too it's called the audit process that is really exciting we could look into that for some of the online classes at some point I think it would be cool it, I have to say that it was actually a lot easier than I thought it would be I uh -huh. thought I would try it because obviously as you know you don't have to take the AP class to take the AP test. That's right. Anyone can take the AP exam, all you homeschoolers out there looking at high schoolers. They're, yeah. And you can always take the exam. Yes. But you cannot call a class an AP class unless it is approved by the college board. That's the only way you can call it right. an AP class. You could call it an advanced class or an honors class, but you can't right. call it an AP class because that's a, it's like Kleenex. It's a trademarked term. So, um, so, yeah, I, the advantage, I guess, is that you can have AP on your transcript, which is sort of outside validation that your class. Yeah, yeah, you actually have the I'm way. so, so proud of you. That's so yeah. exciting. Well, I honestly wasn't sure if it would get approved, but I thought it would be worth trying. Right. And then it was very easy. I mean, I was all, I, I filled out the form and I made up my syllabus. That's what you have to do. You have to send them your syllabus. Um, and I sent it in. I was ready to like answer questions and jump through hoops and explain my, my rationale for this or that. And they were just like approved. <laughs> so it's kind of anticlimactic. Well, you know, good for them that they are making that available to not just the traditional school system. I mean, that's, the, I, I, like I said, I had no idea you could do that. That's super exciting. It is cool, right? So, yeah. so I mean, I, I say if you feel like you want to teach an AP class and you don't mind sitting down and figuring out your syllabus in advance, give it a try. The process is very easy. I mean, surprisingly easy. That is very cool. Yeah. But um, speaking of processes, <laughs> you're in the middle of a big one. <laughs> So I, after we finish up our podcast, I will be driving downtown to pick up my eldest son from his college orientation. Oh. Uh, um, I, I may have mentioned this 
once or twice that <laughs> that boy is going off to college, and he's going to Georgia Tech, which is my alma mater, and my husband's alma mater. We were college sweethearts, and um, yeah, and he's at so he's at Facet right now. That's what they they call the orientation. It's it stands for familiarization and adaptation to the surroundings and environs at Tech. Wow, uh, we are That's a nerdy an crew. Acronym. We are a nerdy, nerdy crew. And I still have my Facet 1987 t-shirt. Um, I know. So it was it was really cool. I dropped him off like at 7.45 a.m. yesterday. He was, he. I think he posted something like on Instagram, like what kind of college orientation starts at 7.45 and this is terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's really exciting. It's been, it's, I keep being surprised by the, emotions you know like okay it was emotional applying for college and then it was emotional gearing back from colleges and then it was emotional you know signing up for facet and now it's emotional dropping them off i'm like at some point i'm gonna get used to this right i mean i should be saving it all up for the big day when we drive the 45 minutes down there <coughs> and and unpack his room but um but yeah it keeps hitting me keeps hitting me over and over so that was the big emotional I had ice cream yesterday oh well that is I think that is the appropriate response to having your child go to college orientation was it chocolate was it at least chocolate it was chocolate raspberry truffles truffles shout out to Brewster's ice cream that is my favorite that that is the the ice cream of college admission (laughs) that is the official (laughs) the official ice the official podcast ice cream Uh, Yeah, I'm so excited for you, though. I mean, what a great adventure. And not that you would ever have been like, you should go to the school because I went there. But how cool is it that he's going to the same school that you and Philip went to? It it really, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a dream come true. I mean, we have I posted on on Facebook a picture of him um, uh, November 1988. So he was about six months old uh, wearing his my first Georgia Tech shirt shirt. And, um, and when I had written that, when I put it in the album, it was actually, uh, the Thanksgiving, the traditional Thanksgiving game between UGA and Georgia tech. And we won that year, which, Hey, that's a good omen, right? Cause we never win. <laughs> Spoiler. We never win. Um, and, uh, and what I had put it in his baby book, I'd wrote, you know, from Thomas's future alma mater. And, uh, we have taken them down there from the very beginning. We've taken them down for the Georgia Tech, the Ramblin' Rec Parade, which I never went to as a student because it starts at like 8 a.m. <laughs> or something stupid. And why would I get up and do that? But we have done some of the alumni stuff. And, you know, since I'm still in the area, that's still where all of my oldest and closest friends came from. So, uh, yeah, so I think he's the only one that's going to go to Tech. And that is fine. And it would have been fine if he didn't want to. But, you know, for years he's talked about going into computer science. So it's it's such a great school. It uh, is a great. I mean, I, Suzanne wouldn't want to brag, but uh, she, she should be very proud. Tech is not an easy school to get into, especially if you're from Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they messed with me a little bit this year <laughs> during the applications process. I don't think I told you this, too. Their, their alumni association, I think, has just kind of cranked up and they're doing some new things. I'm suddenly getting emails from them and I haven't gotten emails from them in, in ever. And like one of the first emails I got was, you know, Hey, alumni want to send your kid to tech, come to this special conference, you know, on such and such to learn all about the process, you know, 
at oh. the end of this year, after we'd gone through the sure. whole thing this year. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Georgia Tech. Thank you so much. That is not helpful. But, um. <laughs> oh, salt in the wound. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I did not sign up. Parents can attend Facet with their kids. Um, my mom came with me. Uh, I did not sign up to go because when, um, when it was time to register, I was kind of just done. I was kind of emotionally done with all of the college stuff and I was okay with not going. And, and of course, as it got closer and I recovered, I was like, Oh, I wish I'd signed up, but then it was too late. So, so go ahead and sign up with your kids to do their registration. Even if you don't feel like it, cause you might regret it if you don't. Well, it's so <laughs> different to be a homeschooler in that situation. Cause you've been such a part of all their learning. Even after he went to high school, it's like such a part of what you do every day. But it almost feels like you want to encourage them to be more independent in certain ways. Right. I think I would have I would have felt the same way. Like maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should let her, my daughter go by herself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was totally fine with me not going. It was all about is all about me. Oh yeah. Um, but also, he's eighteen and he doesn't need. I mean, I'm still getting used to the fact that he doesn't. I don't have to go sign anything. I don't have to. That's crazy. He can. He vote. doesn't. Yeah, he does it. Yes. Is he voting? Is he? I mean, I mean, has he? Has, did he register and everything? I'm not. He is registered. <laughs> he is registered. He had to fix his registration because I had the gender wrong to begin with, and um, but but I don't know how that happened. But he is registered to vote, so he will be voting in this exciting election. Yes, this coming up this year. Um, well, I think the election is the perfect way to transition to talking about books, since our book is very political. <laughs> but. I think we have a sponsor spot first. That's right. And speaking of books, um, we want to tell everybody, be sure to check the website. Like in the next week, we expect to have up the details about our our upcoming book club starting in September, Homeschool Life Reads. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, we're going to pick. In fact, Amy and I have a have a, a, a date to get together and to, to get together to pick the slate for the next school year of the books that we'll be reading month by month. Um, we're going to start out with one uh, book club, homeschool reads for middle schoolers-ish. And um, the idea is that we'll have a different book every month and that you can sign up for one month or, you know, month by month, or you can sign up for the whole year, whatever you want to do. Check the details on the, the website. And then we will have this online discussion where we can go back and forth and email and check in with each other and um and then if you, the kids who want to at the end can work on a project relating to the a small project relating to the book but the idea is to give people an opportunity to to read the book to talk about it with other people and to engage with the work at some level so i'm really excited about it i can't wait to pick the books i know it's a hard job but somebody has to do it Right. So that is coming up so that those details should be up very soon. And we plan to start in September. But like I said, you can drop in any time. Yes. Keep an eye on the website. It'll definitely be up by the end of the week. Yeah. Yep. So, so we read about Burr. We did. We read about Burr. So I have been, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I've been teaching a class about Hamilton. So I have read a lot about Burr recently. So I thought I would give just kind of like the the general biographical information, and then we could talk about the novel, um, the historical fiction novel that we read by Gore Vidal. Yes, sounds um, perfect. 
So I will try. I'll apologize in advance. Uh, one thing, I, I get really interested in the history stuff. So if I'm going on just like half an hour from now, feel free to stop me. Well, but in all fairness, Burr is fascinating. He is such an interesting guy. I mean, the first question is, was he, was, is he a founding father or not? Because I got interested in this. You know, some places they call him a founding father and some places they don't. I went to see online if I could find like the canonical list of founding fathers. And... um because I would say that he's not really a founding father. He didn't sign any of the important things. That's one of the ways to define founding fathers. Um, he did inspire the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, but that was just to make sure that nobody else could ever do what he almost did. Right. So that's kind of a negative. <laughs> a negative. Um, anyway, so he's, he's born in 1756. He comes from a prestigious family. His father was president of the College of New Jersey, which became Princeton. Um, his maternal grandfather is Jan Jonathan Edwards, who people who took American Lit, we shall recognize him from the sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, so I had to read that. You had to read that, right? Of course. Everybody had to read that. So that was his grandfather. Um, so uh, he did come from kind of this, this, this prestigious background, but he had a really tragic childhood he was orphaned by the time he was two he was passed around to different relatives they all died um so he ends up on his own pretty much at an early age uh he studies law uh like alexander hamilton he joins the continental army after lexington and concord and he generally acquits himself pretty well except there's this really interesting part where he was, you know, somebody recommended that he could be an aide to Washington. You know, he's very intelligent. He's he's well-educated. And so he goes up and he meets up with Washington and he stays there for two weeks and then he leaves. And we don't know what happened between him and Washington. But throughout the rest of Washington's life, whenever Aaron Burr's name came up, like, oh, we could ask Burr to do that. Washington's like, no. <laughs> We will not be asking him. So it's anyway, it's so something happened, but uh, Washington never said and Burr never said. So so we don't know why that didn't work out as as Hamilton people know. It did work out for Alexander Hamilton. Um, and uh, anyway, so after the war, he practiced law and ultimately he goes into politics. And I really think that, you know, if you are familiar with the Hamilton musical, it gets a lot right about Burr. Um, they contrast him with Hamilton. They, they contrast Burr as somebody who is more interested in getting ahead and, and being in the room where it happens, having the power than in pushing a particular set of principles. As far as we can tell, Burr didn't have any principles. Um, he was just interested in, in Burr and what he could do to get power. And I think he had kind of an entitled aspect to it where yes he's educated and he comes from this family and 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 he deserves it and he's willing to wait for it he's willing to be patient um but there is kind of an entitled aspect to that um so he would do just about anything to get ahead he he switched parties uh whenever he went back and forth a couple times and he was very careful not to express opinions especially in writing about certain you know anything controversial um, so that he wouldn't get tied to a particular line of thought. Um, so yeah, so then he, uh, yeah, then there's the election of 1800, which is kind of Burr's high point in politics. 
And he's running as vice president with Thomas Jefferson as running for president. And what happens, because we had the freaky electoral uh, vote system back then, the system was even freakier because every state or every delegate got to cast two votes, one for president and one for vice president, but you didn't label the votes. So when you're all at the end of it, Burr and Hamilton, I mean, sorry, Burr and Hamilton, Burr and Jefferson ended up tied with the number of electoral votes. And even though Jefferson was running for president and Burr for vice president, um, they were tied. So, of course, the, the thing to do for Burr would have been to step down and to tell some, you know, take away, you know, that's, we have to do another ballot um, and st- I'll step down. Jefferson's clearly going to be the president. Burr didn't do that. <laughs> he was invited to do so. And and he chose not to. Um, he also didn't. I mean, there's there's a line of thought that he could have won the election because it was a Republicans, not our Republicans, but an early but an earlier party named the Republicans. That was Jefferson and, and Burr versus the Federalists, which was Adams and Hamilton and all those people. And um, the Federalists really hated Jefferson. He's very hateable, but also they didn't agree with him at all. So there's a line of thought that they would have been, they could have been convinced to throw their votes to Burr um, if he'd made a move in their direction. And then Burr would have been president. But he didn't. He didn't do either one. He didn't push the Federalists to throw the votes to him, but he didn't back down. So what ends up happening ultimately is they get, I mean, after days, after days of voting, um, they... Jefferson eventually does become the president. Um, they passed the 12th Amendment to say, let this never happen again. And um, and Burr is done. Burr is done in the Republican Party. He now has Jefferson as his enemy. And he has kind of burned his bridges um, in the Republican Party. But he is going to be vice president for the next four years. And at the end of the vice presidency uh, in, 19, in 1804... He, he's running, he decides he's going to run for governor of New York. And that's actually when he got, and he loses, but that's when he gets into the quarrel with Hamilton and he uh, ends up in a duel and kills Hamilton. So then his political career was really, really done um, because Hamilton was all of a sudden, you know, lionized everywhere. And he was set up as the murderer of Hamilton really unfairly. I mean, Anyway, and um, and now is when things really get interesting <laughs> because um, he goes out west and starts to commit all kinds of treason. He's looking for another place. He commits all the treason. He's looking for a place where he can be in charge of something, and he has burned his bridges out east. So he's going west. He makes friends with Andrew Jackson. And then depending on the story you believe, he either started raising a small army of volunteers to take over New Orleans and then encourage the West to secede and elect him, you know, uh, president, em- emperor, whatever you want. Um, so that's straight up treason, right? You know, encouraging the West to secede from the United States. Um, or the other story, if you believe Burr's version, is that he was raising a force to invade Mexico and overthrow its Spanish leaders. Which is not treason, but it is a misdemeanor because we weren't actually at war with Spain at the time. So um, you're not supposed to create your own force and go down and overthrow, overthrow Spain. Um, it's frowned on. 
I think, and there's several, and there's other things. He talked about, he talked about, oh, maybe those, you know, maybe I'll go down to Florida and be king of Florida. Um, I, I think he was keeping his options open. I think he was, like he said, he was really good at keeping a bunch of balls in the air and we'll just see whatever works out. Um, he did definitely, I mean, commit treason by any standard we have today because he was off talking to the English. He was talking to the Spanish about overthrowing the American government, about seceding. He had all these different plans in, the, in, the, in motion. And it, it fizzled out. It all fizzled out in part because his friend was was uh, uh, told on him. Um, and he was charged with treason. Jefferson really hates him now. Jefferson like hates him more than Jefferson has ever hated anybody. And uh, he was charged with treason, but the Constitution had this very, very narrow, specific definition of treason where you had to like commit a material act. You couldn't just talk about it. You had to actually commit a material act against the United States. And you had to have two witnesses. <laughs> to, wow. To com- yeah. And they'd written that deliberately because Britain was using treason all over the place. Like, oh, you don't like the cut, you know, you don't like the king. You said something about the king. You're a, a traitor. And they would convict you of treason and throw you in jail. But John Marshall, who was, I told, I'm going to get way too involved in this. Anyway, John Marshall, Marshall, who was John. Let me just say that I could talk about John Marshall all day. I love John Marshall. Well, he's Thomas Jefferson's cousin, and he has the good sense to hate Thomas Jefferson. Yes. The feeling is returned. And um, I am not a Jefferson fan. You may have picked that up. And um, he is the, the chief of the Supreme Court, and he follows the law. And um, Burr is acquitted of treason. Actually, the jury comes back, and I can't quote it exactly, but the jury basically comes back and says, front, doesn't say not guilty says, you know, from the evidence given to us, by the standards read to us, we are unable to find him guilty of treason. <laughs> it was like, he is so guilty, but we can't, you know, but we can't say that. So, so he is not, uh, he, he is acquitted of treason. Um, along the way, um, he routinely, uh, along the way with committing all the treason, he routinely bankrupted his friends he had no money and he would borrow from you and get you to co-sign stuff. And then you would end up in debtor's prison because he never paid you back. But kind of despite all this, I have to say, I find him kind of a lovable rogue guy. Right. <laughs> like, okay, don't ever lend him money. Don't ever get caught up in any of his schemes. But against your better judgment, you still kind of want him to come to your party because he's so... He's apparently so charming and so witty and so attractive. He's a ladies' man well into his 70s. Um, and in fact, one of the most likable things about him from, from our perspective is he was an early believer in women's abilities. He believed that they were the intellectual equals of men. Um, he adored his wife, Theodosia, who he met when she was married to a British officer. Uh, they had one daughter, also called Theodosia, and he put his money where his mouth was. He educated her as if he, you know, he held her to the same standard that he would have held a son. And he, he, you know, gave her a great education. They had a wonderful relationship. Um, she's fascinating. In fact, if I was going to name the three most fascinating things about Burr, it would be, you know, the duel. It'd be all the treason. <laughs> the treason's and awesome. It would be um, his relationship with the Theodosias, the two Theodosias. 
And I mean, his daughter was lost at sea. Like we still I don't know, know what happened to her. Seriously lost at sea. I mean, and yet there's so many legends about what might have happened. To I her. know, and so and and yet I finished this book, Burr by Gore Vidal, and there's no Theodosia in it yes. at all. So 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 you go ahead. So tell us what happens. Well, so I mean, Gore Vidal would say that he based Burr off of Aaron Burr's life of actual historical events. It is the story of Aaron Burr. Um, but it is also historical fiction. And while I am not always a fan of the historiobiographical approach, as some people on this podcast may know, <laughs> I do think it's worth pointing out that this book was published in the early 1970s. That's right when the Vietnam War was happening. That's right when the Watergate investigations mm. were going on. Right. And I think that American confidence in the government was at a really low point. And you see that in this book because Suzanne, I mean, did you not feel that Gore Vidal saw um, Burr exactly the way that you do, that he is this sort of roguish anti-hero? That yes, he's kind of a jerk and maybe he's not like a completely good guy, but at least he's honest about not being a good guy. Well, and he's super entertaining. I mean, he's just, he's yes. super, yeah. So, and and, and I, I did enjoy the way Vidal uses Burr to just slam every single one of the other founding fathers. I mean, there's so many unflattering comments about George Washington's butt. That, <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, and his, his military prowess or lack thereof. Right. But anyway, so the novel actually takes place. The present action of the novel is in the 1830s. Um, and in, in, in that time, Aaron Burr hires this ambitious young law clerk named Charles Schuyler, which I don't. Not the Schuyler, not the, not the famous Schuyler. Right. I, but I think it's an interesting name choice. Um, right. Anyway. I mean, that's deliberate. Right. But yeah. Yes. So, so he hires this law clerk to help him write his biography and Schuyler is really interested in making a name for himself um, and he really really likes Burr who he, he admires and respects him but he's also kind of tempted there's a rumor going around that the presidential hopeful Mar Martin Van Buren is actually Burr's illegitimate son so right because they're politically close yes and and so there are there is a faction that's trying to since Burr is still considered the devil. Right. Everyone hates Burr. Right. Except for everyone loves him. Except, yeah. <laughs> Except for all the people who love him. <laughs> but so, so Schuyler knows that if he can come up with proof for this theory that Van Buren is Burr's illegitimate son, he can make a ton of money and he can move to Europe where he wants to start a new life. Right. So part of the story is that in the 1930s, oh, sorry, the 1830s, I'm jumping ahead a century <laughs> and the other part is Burr's own story about the late 18th century as colonial America gradually became revolutionary America and then the United States and his career right. in politics and treason um, and the flashbacks are structured after Burr's actual autobiography which I haven't read have you have you read it no I, I, the haven't, Memoirs I of haven't Aaron read. Burr, which was written in the 1830s in fact so yeah, so you're seeing, so, so I just want to point out <laughs> that 
you end up seeing all these fascinating events kind of not only like a doubles arms length, right? Because you're getting them in these short little snippets that have been written by Burr, who is the unreliable of narrators. Right. And and then not only because you're so you're not you're not in his head. Right. You're, you're seeing the snippets that he wrote and then passed off to his protege. So you're really in the protege's head reacting to whatever Burr chose to write about a specific event. That was a really to me, that was a really interesting choice was, you know, we could have been in Burr's head. Right. Um, but we're not all of all of his all of his stuff that happens. We're 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 at arm's length. We're through a couple of lenses. Well, I think. I mean, do you think that maybe, I, I think that maybe that could be intentional. I think that maybe Vidal is making a point about how history is never objective, how it's always this constructive narrative or this cluster of opposing constructed narratives that we are sort of forced to determine the truth from, even though we, we never can. There's, there's never truth. There's only narrative. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I do think it's, it's deliberate. It just, I guess, I mean, I didn't really let you finish and, and say what you thought about, about it and all that, but, um, I, I enjoyed the book. I didn't, I didn't have to push myself to read it. I think it really helped that I knew the historical background. So I kind of felt like I knew, okay, that's actual thing that happened or that's Burr, you know, being right. Burry. Um, I think that I would not have enjoyed it as much if I didn't know the background already. Um, but at, when I got to the end, I was just kind of flabbergasted by the, the choices he made. Cause I feel like he took <clears throat> there, is, you know, Burr is a wonderful character out there for a historical novel, right. Or alternate history. Right. There are so many cool things you could do with, you know, tell us what happened with Washington and tell us this and tell us that. And, um, and Vidal makes a deliberate choice not to do any of that. I mean, half of the time we're following the protege around. Um, we're at arm's length from all the things interesting that actually that happened a long time ago. Burr's an old man. So, you know, we're hearing about all this stuff that happened a long time ago. And then he leaves out the Theodosias. Like, Vidal is not a fan of women, right? No, I mean, no, he's not. And I think that, I, I think that leaving out the Theodosias is sort of an unforgivable sin. They are the, I, they are such interesting women I, really such interesting well, women and it's just it's I a mean shame. like it doesn't it doesn't hurt the book as it stands but why would why would you do that like you couldn't write a historical fiction book about Jefferson now without writing about Sally Hemings or you know oh Sally Hemings that story isn't terribly interesting I'm just gonna throw it out I'm just gonna ignore it right I mean it's like why why would you do that to yourself as an author why would you take the most interesting bits and just choose not to talk about it. It's 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 flabbergasting to me. <laughs> I I think it's interesting, but I but I think it's really because I, I think this is a book about the United States and not a book about a person. And so to me, even though I don't like the choice and it makes me like I, I feel like I would have enjoyed the book more if the Theodosias had been in it. It makes sense as a choice for Vidal because he's not he's not interested in Aaron Burr the man. He's interested in Aaron Burr as sort of a construct of the American ideal. Okay. Right, maybe. I mean maybe. Well, but Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it's just to me I I'm hung up on this idea of he's such an interesting guy 
but Vid- I, I, I like the book. I have to say, I you know, I... I Did you I, like how Thomas Jefferson is Nixon in the book? <laughs> no, I didn't make the Nixon connection. Oh my I was gosh. just enjoying that Thomas Jefferson this, is a terrible human being. <laughs> with the Marshall subpoenas. Right, 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 right. Right? I just felt like that was such a Watergate parallel. No, Jefferson, the classic, oh, gov- we should have no government because, you know, gov- we, he doesn't believe in government at all, except when he's president. And except when he's trying to get Burr committed, you know, convicted of treason. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it is a very Nixon-y moment. But I mean, I enjoyed the read, but I just was at the end, I was just, I guess what I'm saying is there's a book out there to be written. Somebody should write the book about Burr and, and throw in all the interesting stuff and all the stuff that's probably apocryphal, but it's still, I mean... This was just not that book, and it just felt like such an odd choice to deliberately pick su- uh, such an interesting guy and then choose for that not to be the story. Choose for the protege to be the story, even. Right. Well, I, th- I think, you know, it's it, to me it seems that it's a book that wants to dismantle the mythos of the Founding Fathers, that wants to tear right. down the kind of idealism that right. we've installed in these these figures, that we've given them all this credit. I mean, can I... So I, I have a little quote from the book. <laughs> where, awesome. Oh, where, um, where Burr is, t- is talking to Jefferson about the new United States, and he says, I sense nothing more than the ordinary busyness of men wanting to make a place for themselves. It is no different here from what it is in London or what it was in Caesar's Rome. And I think that's sort of one of the points that Vidal yeah. is making is that the United States... But, you know, for me, it's also... That's also who Burr was in right. that he, he... He wasn't fighting for a set of principles. Well, he, I he, think that Gore Vidal is saying that Burr was right. I think he, he yeah. identifies and agrees with Burr's perspective. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, did you not feel that way that... No, no, I felt I felt the book was very pro Burr. I mean, I felt like it was it was very much um, on his side, and I mean, but in this very knowing kind of kind of, I like I said, I I, I like the book. <laughs> no, it was a it was a fun book. It wasn't the book that I wanted it to be. No, and and that's that's you know now I'm just and I was looking around to see has anybody else done this because I mean there really is a great I mean he's stranger than fiction he's one of those lives like you couldn't make this stuff up I wouldn't be surprised with all the Hamilton excitement yeah. if there weren't some great Burr books coming out which I I would love I mean he's a hoot you know <laughs> Let, it's like somebody go out somebody please write the Theodosia book. Yes. Somebody write about the Theodosias. Um, that would be awesome. She vanished and her ship disappeared. With all of his papers. Ah. All of his stuff that he'd kept records. You know, a lot of the stuff that he'd kept records on for his memoirs, for his, they went down with the ship with her. It is really, there's so much story there. And I think I'm, I'm with you. I wanted the story of Aaron Burr to be. The story of Aaron Burr. Yes. And not the story of. Well, yeah. how the United States maybe isn't the idealistic place that we right. want, we think we like to think that it is. Yeah, but yeah, and, and and it's different because you know, like I said, the Burr in Hamilton is 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 a very much part of the story. But I think with the, and I haven't seen the musical; I've only listened to it a zillion times. <laughs> but um, I think with the musical captures is some of the genuine pathos of 
Burr's life, the tragedy of losing his wife, Theodosia, then losing his daughter, Theodosia, and his grandson. And, um, and, and his real craving, his genuine craving for, for power and that that's a real thing. Um, but I don't know that it captures, I mean, he just comes across, he must have been so fun, right? right. All these people liked him. And they knew they shouldn't like him. Um, he must have just been so fun and witty. And in the book, he's always making these fun little ironic asides. You know, I think that that's something the book did kind of highlight was that he was just a real interesting, fun, charming guy to be around. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Burr, the lovable rogue. Yes. Um I, I, there's one, my favorite quote from the book is early on and I, I didn't write it down, so I won't get it exactly right. But when he's off with a protege and the protege said something like, you know, Aaron Burr could make going to the barber look like a conspiracy <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I just, you know, I just, I want to see that. Well, because he is almost, I mean, he feels big enough to be a fictional character. Yeah. It doesn't even seem like he could have been a real person. No, he's there. He's there packaged for you. All you have to do is write in the corners where we don't. That's what you get to do as author is write in the corners where we don't really know what happened. So please, um, somebody write us the Aaron please. Burr book that we deserve. And if you want to make it a musical, I'm okay with that, too. Totally. <laughs> uh, well, that was that was it was a good read. I wanted to read it. I'm glad we read it together because it was on my list. Of, I hear of, that the rest of the narratives of Empire series is not as good. So I don't I don't know if I will continue with the what's next Lincoln in the series. Yeah, I might read it just because um, I happened to be reading this up at the cabin when I was hanging out with my dad and he came by and said, oh, I really like those books. Ah. Um, and he said Lincoln was his favorite. And I had never known that he'd even read Gore Vidal. I mean, I, that's not somebody I would have necessarily thought my dad would have read. So um, so he gave it the thumbs up. So now I'm curious to read more. This was my first. Uh, there are none of them going to have any women in them, are there? I mean, they're just not going to. I mean, don't expect a lot of good female characters is, is what I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like he, I don't feel like he, like some few times I read a book and I'm like, wow, this guy really hates women. Um, I didn't really feel that way in this book. I, they're just mostly absent. Yeah. He's not interested in women. Yeah. That's what he does. He can't be bothered. <laughs> so, well, so, so what are we reading next time? I think it's your turn to pick. Yes. Well, I have, I have picked, I have picked a book. It's called All the Birds in the Sky. By Charlie Jane Anders. She's the editor-in-chief of io9. Oh, cool. Um, and it is an apocalyptic novel. Hey. That also right has a secret magic school. Uh, well, this could not be any better. Right. I mean, I mean that, is, that is pretty awesome, right? I'm excited. I think that it should be good. Um, it's, it's, so far, it's gotten good reviews. I haven't read it yet. Um, and it's just out. I mean, It is. You know, it's brand spanking new. Awesome. Well, I, I think that's an excellent choice, and I'm very excited to read it. So, me too. Yay. Yay. Um, I guess that's a wrap. Hey, we did it. Yay. Well, thank you for <laughs> listening to this most recent episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy. If you're listening on iTunes and you like what you hear, it would be awesome if you would leave us a rating. Or if you have questions, comments, or insights about anything that we've talked about in the podcast, shoot us an email to podcast at homeschoollifemag.com. We love to hear from you. Next time, we'll be talking about everybody's favorite homeschool topic. Um, I feel like I should say, dun, 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 dun. I mean, we need a drum roll. Socialization. Yeah. 
the so big S question. The big S. So join us next time for the big S, all the birds in the sky, and more conversation about the places where home, school, and life intersect. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye.